As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show. This is the Weekend Review. My name is Ryan Bailey and today we're looking back at a memorable weekend of soccer full of drama. Joining me to do so is the podcast equivalent of a goalkeeper scoring a 95th minute winning (laughs) header. It's Taylor Rockwell. Hello, I'll take that. I'll take the excitement, the electrifying enthusiasm and the beardedness all at once. Oh, you have all of those columns dictated. I've just realized that. Can you give just an not emotional... physical fitness. <laughs> when we're done, can you give an emotional interview about how this podcast went as well? I'd, I'd really like to see that. I can. Can I do it in this sort of out of breath emotional way where like you're waiting for them to, to finish it and they kind of ramble on and then have to catch their breath? That, that is kind of my style anyway. So yeah, I think I could do that. Excellent. Consider it done. Podcast Extra coming up. Uh, joining Taylor and I is a man whose analysis is more on target than a Yuri Tielemann's rocket shot. It's Graham Ruthven. Hello, Ryan. How are you? And, and much like Yuri Tielemann's uh, rocket shot, my analysis comes from uh, a, a blundering mistake made by the opposition <laughs> and poor pressing by an Italian uh, central midfielder. So, <laughs> how are you? You've got to take your victories where you can get them, Graham. Take them where you can get them is what I say. Uh, I'm very well, Graham. Thank you so much for asking. I have had a mixed weekend, though. Um, I ripped my favorite jeans on Saturday, which was unfortunate. Uh, I kind of injured my Achilles while I was running on Saturday morning, which was a shame. But hey, Chelsea lost two cup finals this weekend, so not all's <laughs> bad. That's what I say. Were you running in the jeans? Is that how you ripped them? Was I not supposed to run in the jeans? <laughs> Maybe that was it. There's there's nothing more suspicious than someone in the gym in jeans. I don't know if you ever come across people who wear jeans to the gym, but I'm always like, what? What is your ulterior motive here? Why, what, what activity <laughs> are they doing in jeans, Graham? Just on the treadmill, on the rowing machine. Do you ever come across people like that who, who, who are wearing jeans in the gym? That's quite a common no. occurrence in my gym. Really? Yeah. Get, Scotland, get it together. <laughs> uh, also, no, I think there's there's an Always Sunny episode where Dee wears jeans to the gym, and it's a whole, like, I'm not seeing a lot of jeans. Yeah, I've never seen jeans in a gym. So, Graham, I think that you're just maybe in a very strange, <laughs> strange area it's where people make strange decisions. <laughs> That's That'll do it. That'll do it as well. Uh, if only they made some sort of warm-up material that you could wear when it was cold outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In, a, in, in my gym, the gym I used to go to before COVID, they, uh, there was an older gentleman who always used to come and like walk on a treadmill and he wore jeans and like formal shoes, I think, as well. <laughs> but I gave him a pass because he wasn't exactly like, you know, he wasn't on the cur- curling him out on the bench or anything. So um, <laughs> uh, that, that's the only example of that I can think of. But uh, speaking of outfits, um, I think we have to assume that Chelsea's kit is doomed, this new kit. This new kit they showed off, they played it in a Champions League final and an FA Cup final this weekend. They've got to scrap it. They've got to scrap it, haven't they? They yeah. can't play on with this. It's reminiscent of the start of the season where, I don't know if you remember, but Chelsea have a new, had a new sponsor for this season, which is three, the Mobile Network. And they kept, they scored, they conceded three goals in the first three games of this season, which seems like a bit of a jinx. So, yeah, the only thing that can stop them is a new uh, kit launch. 
<laughs> I, I also take offense from the new Chelsea kit because it has yellow on it. And I ha- supporting a team from about two miles down the road who play in blue and yellow, uh, I take offense to them trying to uh, jump on our, on our patch with the, with the colors there. Taylor, any thoughts on kits? I mean, I think we've just learned in recent history now that anytime you try to rebrand or change up your color scheme, it's not going to go well, and it's not the best idea unless you put actual thought into it. So maybe that's the issue. Chelsea just need to spend a little more time getting an even finer shade of blue, and then they'll be fine. A finer shade of blue. That sounds like a, a hit waiting to happen there. It really the does. There, I'll there. take that. I'll take um, that. I want one more thing before we get started. I wanted to mention that I played soccer for the first time in 15 months this past week. And How'd that go? It, it went it pretty well. Jeans. <laughs> uh, yeah, the jeans suffered for it the jeans suffered for it and i got an, an, an injured achilles but um goal and an assist it was okay it was okay for me personally but i felt um it took me about three days to recover from it because i think you, not, not using those muscles for so long mm-hmm. and i felt very rusty while i was out there as well it was wonderful to get back out of there for the first time in so long but yeah i, I think i need a few games to get back into the rhythm of things definitely and what, what, what's the method? What's the method for getting ready for a game, Ryan? Do you do? How do you warm up? Is it running? Is it jogging? Is it stretching? Is it curver? Are you are you doing moves? Are you just shooting uh, with with no stretching? Oh, it's t- typical sort of Sunday league stuff. You turn up and just have some shots. Ah. <laughs> there you go. Of course. <laughs> I know that warm up too well. <laughs> and then you wonder why you pull your groin and your hamstring simultaneously in the first forty five seconds. Like, how did that possibly organized. happen? Very organized stuff. But yeah, and, uh, I need to be better at warming down as well. I think that's a big Ooh. part of it. Now that I'm in, of advanced years for a soccer player, I'm right up there now. So, uh, <laughs> if Zlatan can do it, you can do it, right? Indeed, indeed. We're both pretty good physical specimens. Uh, I, I bet Zlatan rips his jeans all the time for probably different reasons to I did in that I eat too much food. Shall we talk about the FA Cup final, gents? How about we do that? Chelsea against Leicester at Wembley Stadium. This one finishing 1-0 to Leicester with the aforementioned Yuri Tielemans making the difference with a wonderful strike. This was the 140th FA Cup final, the world's oldest domestic soccer competition. Uh, it was 52 years since Leicester were last in this one, although they pretty sure they were in the League Cup in the 90s. I think they won it then, if memory serves me correct. There were 22,000 fans in attendance here. Graham, a huge, huge difference here. I felt just watching it from my sofa, having actual fans in the stadium, the roar from the goal being like actually timed with the goal going in. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, it just felt very authentic. It felt really good. I... And having, having the players also run over to the fans at the end, the Leicester players, and sort of knee sliding and celebrating towards the fans. You had Leicester's owner getting involved as well. I didn't have a dog in this race, but I felt quite emotional watching this. I felt a little bit teary. Like, I don't know whether it's nostalgia for the FA Cup, nostalgia for fans coming back, the fact that an underdog, if of sorts, won this game. But it all sorts of came together in this alchemy of emotion for me. I was in a glass cage with Ron Burgundy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was I was also in that 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 glass cage. I mean, it, it makes such a difference to just watching a game. The intensity, the excitement. I missed uh, opposition fans uh, going way when someone shoots over the, the bar. <laughs> they don't they don't have that on the canned crowd noise on the broadcasts. Uh, I missed that, and yeah, absolutely. The the Tielemans goal was. Uh, yeah, there was there was certainly an emotion to it, and I think for the next six months, I also felt it when. Um, Atlanta scored in the last minute against Montreal yes. at, at, at the weekend. And I think maybe for the, as I say, for the next six months, I'm just going to feel that and, and, and appreciate how much better soccer is with fans in the stands. I was about to reference that Atlanta game as well. That, that late winner and the roar and that's it, uh, uh, the bends. That was a, that was another one of those feelings. Definitely. That's a great point there. And, and Taylor, I, I don't know if you saw in, in the stands at Wembley, they had, um, the, the, the former owner of Leicester, uh, Vichai Shivanda Prabhar. Mm-hmm. He had his, his, his quote, our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. And you just see that and you see what Leicester did in this game. And that just, that just made me totes emotion. Totes emotion. And then was it his son getting hugs from all the players at yes, the end of the game? Yeah, right. which which I think really intensified it and made a story in which it's what the team that are third right now beating the team in fourth somehow an underdog story. But it did <laughs> feel that way, and that it felt that way, especially so when you see the owner out there and you see sort of what it meant to the players and to the fans as well. And I will just agree with what both of you have already said, which is that it's great to have them there for the celebrations after the goal for the celebrations at full time, but also for just moments like in the second half when uh, Leicester are, are up and they're trying to see the game out, and I think Vardy earns a corner and then like vaults to his feet and and picks up the crowd and everybody responds and 
it's those moments you need. It's those moments that make the crowd so important because you can rally there. And, and that is a decent amount of energy. I've played in games when we had like 15 fans and them all cheering had an impact. So 22,000 fans cheering, or at least half of those 22,000, I think definitely also has an impact. And as we get more and more, it'll get louder and even more fun. But for now, it was just nice to see that sort of interaction and the reminder that the players also need those fans, enjoy having those fans for what they mm. bring and the atmosphere they create. 15 fans, Taylor. Nice flex, by the way. I mean, I think it was mostly just our like other team drunkenly yelling things, mostly. <laughs> uh, yeah, this it, it is odd that I did pitch this as, a, as an underdog victory. It is of sorts, but we do have to remember these are two teams who are owned by billionaires who both made money yeah. in questionable regimes, <laughs> etc. and so on, uh, both of whom you know, are at the top echelon of the table and who face each other in the Premier League in a very important game uh, on Tuesday as well. Uh, why don't we talk about Chelsea and what? went wrong or what went right here was this game taylor on thomas tuchel can we question what he did here i mean as and alonso as as the as the wing back sort of drew my attention a little bit uh, uh the front three we had Werner, Werner mount and ziek was he trying to sort of play ziek into form even play Werner into form in, in in this game and using an fa cup final platform to do so and you know some people questioning alonso the aforementioned alonso starting over chilwell it, uh, so in some ways, I think Tuchel's got criticism for this game. But if you look at Chelsea, they lost this game, which was reasonably even, to an absolute banger from 25 yards out. Uh, Schmeichel made a couple of incredible saves, absolutely incredible saves, and they get a narrow VAR decision going against them. So it's pretty fine margins in this mm-hmm. one, Taylor. But what can we say about what Tuchel did wrong or right? Uh, I mean, we can we can say a little bit about that I, because I would rather say a lot more about what Brendan Rodgers got right because I think sure. that that is a, a big difference there because Tuchel did sort of what I expected, barring a few of those little switches like you mentioned with uh, Aspilicueta playing as the right wing back and Reese James as the right center back. I'm assuming, as the commentators were pointing out, that that was to deal with the pace and the counterattacking ability of Leicester. What I think they weren't really prepared for was the intensity of Leicester's press and how consistent and successful it was. Mm. Because, and again, I I took some issue with the way this game was covered because the halftime analysis seemed to be all about Leicester were rushing and Chelsea were being too hesitant. And the game that I saw, at least, and and I'm happy to be wrong if, if either of you saw it differently, was... Chelsea trying to build, but not being able to pass through the middle because Leicester kept crowding there and then pressing so high that it forced these sort of direct balls into Timo Werner, who's going to have somebody tracking him. So oftentimes he's not going to be able to hold the ball up or hold the ball up easily. And then even when he does, now that you've had people drop in to try to support for the build out to deal with the press, when you do get the ball into his feet, he has nobody around him for 20 yards. And It seemed like Chelsea just really struggled to develop anything to get a rhythm going because of the way Leicester set up to defend. And I think you're absolutely right, though, Ryan, that they still find a way to get chances, to get moments. They batter Leicester for a decent chunk of the second half. I think that goal is pretty unfair in terms of, yes, it's probably a toenail offside. But once again, that just feels like a very silly way to enforce VAR, but such is life. But I think you're absolutely right that overall it's very fine margins, but credit to Leicester for, I guess, having... A finer margin? Is that how it goes? A wider margin? I'm not sure which one it is. They, yeah, they, they just find it out a little bit, it, there we go. so to speak. Um, <laughs> Graham, let's talk about Leicester. And Taylor mentioned they're defending there, a back five. This isn't the first time that Thomas Tuchel has faced a back five by any means, but it seems like they, they certainly contained, um, contained Chelsea's front line there. I mean, Fafana was all over, all, all over Werner, it seemed, for most of it. And, and Ziyech was, was, was made a little bit toothless by that uh, setup that they had. What did you make of the way Leicester set up, Graham? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I have a whole load of contrasting and um, paradoxical thoughts about this match that don't really, they, I don't really have a solid <laughs> conclusion over who played well, who played badly, who got it right and who got it wrong. I think Rogers did some good things. I think uh, Tuchel did some good things. And I also think he did some, some bad things. And, and one of the areas that I think Tuchel, I know I'm slightly shifting it a little bit, but I'll come back to Leicester. This is basically how I was too, Graham. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited, I'm excited to hear you, you go with this. Yeah. One of the things I think Tuchel did get wrong was I feel like he was a little bit too reactive to Leicester City. And, and the proof of that is how he, he shaped his team or how he, the personnel he used on the right side of the pitch. So he had Reese James as the right sided center back which is obviously where Azpilicueta usually plays. And Azpilicueta is the right wing back. And James 
was there to keep hold of Vardy. And he did a very good job of that. Vardy, I thought, had a pretty quiet game. I mean, he did have a couple good moments and stretched the pitch from time to time. But that, that, that robbed Chelsea of an outlet down the right side. And so I wonder whether keeping hold of Vardy was actually worth Chelsea being poorer as a, as an attacking outlet. And, and I think Leicester did a really good job of matching up to Chelsea. They obviously had a, a, a similar system in the way that they had three at the back. But I also look at their system and think that the success of their team kind of came from individual performances. So obviously Tielemann smacks one in from, from 30 yards. I thought he was brilliant actually throughout the match, not just in terms mm-hmm. of that that goal. But, you know, Schmeichel, you mentioned there, comes up with some brilliant saves. That one from Mount in particular, I think, is one of the saves of the season. But again, that's down to kind of individual brilliance. And then Soyonchu, who I thought was really, really good. But again, that just comes from him. Um, and I don't want to minimise things too much for, for Rodgers, but it just comes from Soyonchu having the determination to stick his head on everything and then get in, get in front of everything and just having that once Evans goes off as well, just having that presence of mind to organise things about him. So, I, I honestly don't know. I, I struggle to work this one out. I don't know if this was the right result or the wrong result. And yeah, I, I just think it was it was a really interesting match that could have gone either way. And the one moment of brilliance, the one moment of quality was produced by Leicester. And that's what got them over the line. Graham, I think that distinction you're making about uh, Reese James as the right center back is, is more important maybe than, and Ryan, you, you brought this up originally. I think I was just like, yeah, you know, you play somebody there, you deal with Vardy. But I kind of forgot how effective Reese James was on that right side against Man City uh, in their last Champions League game and just how he kept being the one to beat somebody and then drive the ball forward 30 yards. And even if it was down the channel, he would get a cross in or he would cut it back and try to find somebody open. I think that's how they score one of their goals, in fact, or or at least recently, I think he's been so critical to them in their attack that to then have him sit back and be a center back, yes, he can still get involved as like a late arriving runner or making a sort of counterattacking run, but then you've left Jamie Vardy open and that's sort of the entire point of what you're doing. So you're right, that is a bit of a conundrum. I'm not sure why that was the plan there, aside from Jamie Vardy is fast and he's their only option is maybe what, what uh, yeah. Thomas Tuchel was thinking. But other than that, that is a head scratcher. A little bit. Is, is there any coincidence in the fact that Chelsea maybe were questionable on their right channel? We talk about um, Aspilicueta and James over there. And Leicester seemed rather good there. Sonchu being the, being the left-sided centre-back. And Luke Thomas, um, mm. who was very impressive in this one. I think he got the assist for Tielemans, effectively, yeah. didn't he? And, um, well, he was good against Man United midweek as well. And he seems to be one to watch, I would suggest, Graham. Yeah, absolutely. And Leicester just have this knack of producing brilliant, uh, wide side, uh, wide side, wide uh, defenders. Sorry, getting tongue tied a bit there. You know, cause James Justin is another one mm. who's had a, an excellent season. They've just sold Ben Chilwell last summer for, you know, 50 million. Timothy Castagna on the right side. Uh, Ricardo Pereira didn't play in this game. So is there a team outside Man City who have as good and as uh, the, the sort of depth in the fullback positions and the wingback positions that Leicester have? I, I, I'm struggling to think of another one. It's impressive. It's definitely impressive. Um, Taylor, I want to talk to you about um, Kasper Schmeichel as well, because watching this, and this is, this is going to sound incredibly cliche, but I was reminded so much of his dad and his peak Peter Schmeichel sort of performance here. Uh, did, did, did you get any of those vibes at all? And I think maybe we don't, we don't think of, maybe we don't think of Schmeichel as like a Leicester legend, but he kind of deserves to be yeah. in many ways. I think, he? I think he's definitely getting there, uh, at least for Leicester fans, he probably is. What, what was it, Ryan? Cause I don't disagree with you. I'm just wondering, what was it that reminded you of, of Peter Schmeichel? I just remember Schmeichel making lots of those sort of really mm-hmm. awesome reflex saves like he didn't like that shot from Mason Mount that oh, yeah. Graham mentioned there. And just because he, yeah, and, and in clutch moments, exactly. And I, just because they look very similar and their, board, mm-hmm. and their, their movement yes. is quite similar as well. I think that, that's what stirs it mostly. But I think, just, it's, I think it's the movement. Absolutely. You're right. The, that sort of, it's almost like the way... This is a very esoteric reference. I apologize to both of you, unless you're both secret hockey fans. But like Dominic Hasek, the old like Buffalo Sabres goalie, would have these weird like rainbow dives that you wouldn't expect from a hockey goalkeeper. And that's kind of what Casper Schmeichel does, where he it almost looks like he doesn't need to dive, but he does to then be able to maneuver his hand in such a way that he can push the ball wide or push the ball onto a post. But it's also that wrist strength. That's another thing mm. I think of with Peter Schmeichel is the ability to save a shot Maybe your fingers, maybe just the top of your palm, but the wrist stays strong such that the ball is denied or pushed wide again. And we saw that in this game on a couple different occasions, Kasper Schmeichel having the strength 
but the footwork and then the kind of jumping ability to put himself in the right position to make some saves and be that reliable stopper. And I think to bring it home, that is what Peter Schmeichel was for Manchester Manchester United. Definitely not Manchester City, although I think he had a spell there. Uh, but for United, it was that sort of, you know he's there. Maybe he's going to have an off game here and there, but for the most part, he's the Danish wall. And I guess his son is the Danish wall junior. But it's that same <laughs> level of reliability and form, I think, that inspires the Leicester defense. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty apt comparison and a pretty good game for Kasper Schmeichel as well. And a, and a we- Sorry, Ryan. In a weird way, I think Casper doesn't get the credit he deserves because his dad is Peter. And I know that's the, uh, yep. the uh, that works the other way to the way it usually works, where like Jordi Cruyff gets a move to Manchester United because he's got Cruyff on the back of his shirt. But with with Casper Schmeichel, the first thought for a lot of people is, oh well, he's not as good as Peter Schmeichel, and that is true. But Peter Schmeichel's arguably the best goalkeeper in the, of the Premier League era, and Casper Schmeichel for me is, is, has been one of the best goalkeepers in the league for a number of years now and kind of gets overlooked a little bit. Yeah. I'll, I'll pull you up on that, Graham. I think J- uh, Jordi Cruyff actually had Jordi on his shirt because he didn't want <laughs> to be associated with Cruyff, right. as if we all didn't know why he was in that Manchester United <laughs> team. And uh, yeah, boy, boy did that show. Um, I, I, th- I think this, this was um, not the most exciting game in general, but as far as FA Cup finals go, Taylor, this was right up there for me just because of the emotion of the situation, the fact that we had an amazing goal. We had an incredible save. This this was 33 years to the week since my team, Wimbledon, had a true underdog moment at this very stadium, beating Liverpool in this same cup final. There's um, the Wimbledon it, reference. It, 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 they come every week. You never know when they're going to come, but they do come. Um, and I've actually done the second one because I talked about our kits earlier, but hey, here we are. I'm a broken record. But uh, oh, yeah. I, I just think the, the, the FA Cup has lacked a lot of passion and emotions in recent iterations, one could argue. And it just felt like this was the game we needed right now. Which is a strange thing to say about a game that finishes 1-0 with a disallowed goal controversially. And I think at first half that uh, I have lots of notes. I don't know how much I'm using those notes for this conversation because it was a pretty even game. I don't think it was necessarily that like 4-3, to 3-2 spectacle that we're going to talk about maybe later on with some games from this weekend. But huh. I think... For the FA Cup finals we've had in recent memory and then the ones that we've had, the games we've had recently behind closed doors with no fans there, I think there's absolutely an element of like, oh, right, this matters and people care about it and it's fun and it's always fun to win a cup. And the way it played out in those final minutes was, I think, enough drama to make it a good game overall. So, yeah, I'm with you. Indeed. Thanks for being with me, Tay-Tay. Well, that's, uh, that's one Chelsea Cup loss uh, on the books there. Let's t- cover another one in a few minutes. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, we are back. We are talking the Women's Champions League final between Chelsea and Barcelona very shortly, right after Graham Ruthven comes in with, uh, with a Jamie Vardy update. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, Jamie Vardy will just not stop being Jamie Vardy, even for one moment. Uh, there's a story that I've going around this morning, and I'm afraid it's actually uncredited. It looks a little bit like The Athletic or maybe The Telegraph, but I'm just going to read a very quick uh, section of it about how he celebrated the FA Cup win. So it's, most of the squad went their separate ways afterwards and travelled back to Leicester with their families, with Vardy celebrating on the way home with some Desperados beers in the car yeah. with his family. The forward would go to bed with his winner's medal around the neck, just as he did in 2016, and wake for a McDonald's breakfast. <laughs> he is- what <laughs> is happening? <laughs> uh, what just is to be clear, happening? Desperado's beers are tequila-infused beers for all yeah, the yeah, right, yeah. He is, he is <laughs> single-handedly debunking sports science as an industry. <laughs> Is he just, does he just run so much? Is he in that good of shape that he's one of those where it, like it just doesn't matter because he burns it all off? That's the only thing I can figure because that made me feel sluggish and ill just hearing the, <laughs> those things that he went for. Also, what are the open container laws in England? Eh. <laughs> that's that's actually what Boris Johnson has proposed. They'd be re- rewritten as, I think. Yeah. No, no, the checks. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. I, the, yeah. the thing about Jimmy Vardy is if you told me this was his pre-match routine, I would have believed awesome. that as well. <laughs> um, great. Uh, Taylor, if you want to know about the <laughs> container laws in the UK, go to Scotland and look at what nine out of ten people on the street are doing and you'll find out. <laughs> well, I think there's just a difference. Yeah, walking, I, I get and I'm envious of. In the car, is, I guess I'm assuming he wasn't driving. <laughs> so I think that's how Virginia is. As long as you're not driving, it's fine, uh, which is an approach to uh, to safe alcohol consumption. But yeah, Jamie Vardy maybe just won't be my model of of how to prepare for games as an athlete. That said, Ryan, it also feels like something that your local amateur team would have done uh, before shooting those shots on on, uh, on the goal before your warm-ups began. Most likely, most likely. All I know is that I'd have Vardy over Werner. Anyway, why don't we uh, move on to the Champions League final, of the Women's Champions League final, which took place uh, this weekend to Chelsea not having a fun time of this one. 4-0 to Barcelona, this one finished. Um, Chelsea conceding an own goal after 35 seconds, which kind of set the tone for this one. Taylor, this was an interesting one because we came into this one knowing that Emma Hayes' Chelsea are very, a very impressive team. Um, not sure that was reflected in this performance <laughs> because w- was it because of uh, Chelsea's shortcomings here or the fact that Barcelona were absolutely phenomenal? They were. It felt like we say it about Man City playing a different sp- uh, at a different speed and playing a different game. Sometimes watching this one, it really felt like Barcelona were kind of on a different planet. And we know about yeah. this team coming into this game like undefeated in the league, twenty six wins uh, and, and no draws, with one hundred and twenty nine goals scored and five conceded coming into this one. They're six games shy of being undefeated and they're on for a treble. Blah blah blah. They're a very very amazing team. They're you know technically astute and tactically very good. What was what was I guess I'm asking did, mm-hmm. was was it a poor Chelsea performance or just they were completely outclassed? I'm going to say it was an unstoppable force meeting a fairly movable object. <laughs> uh, and and even when that object didn't move, it then gave the unstoppable force another opportunity to have a go because I think it definitely was not Chelsea looking particularly strong and and you could say it was the slow start the fact that they go down what inside 35 seconds but at the same time that the way they concede that goal is very reminiscent of the way they played most of that first half which was Mm -hmm. slow on the ball not quite sure what they wanted to do with it with Barcelona there were triangles there were wall passes there were uh really good combinations through the middle out wide it seemed like they were 
lots of sort of third runs when when like like attackers knowing exactly where they needed to be as the other attacker was like vacating space and other was moving into it and there were so many patterns and rotations for Barcelona that it it there stood out even more when you look at Chelsea and how there was just delay on the ball there was waiting there was an extra touch there was an extra two touches and for at least two maybe all of the goals it's Chelsea uh, maybe should have made a stronger play, could have made a stronger play, but failing to do so and being made to pay for it. And yeah, 4-0 down inside the first 35 minutes with a first goal in the first 35 seconds is uh, is something. It was quite something, yeah. And I'm just trying to think of who I thought were good performances from Chelsea. like uh, Sam Kerr and Hardair up top and, and yeah. maybe Frank Kirby were pretty decent. But everywhere else in the field, you could see so many shortcomings. And, and Graham, this was supposed to be a, a pretty a defensively solid team. But you look at the centre-back pairing here. They seem way off in this game. The full-backs, they couldn't match uh, Barcelona on the flanks at all here. And G and, and Leupoltz on the, on the, in midfield on, on the wide positions, they, they seem to have very poor games. Even uh, and Katrin Berger, the, the goalkeeper, just seemed to be making terrible decisions, uh, t- t- several of which were costly in this game. They just Were they just a bit asleep for this one in some ways, Graham? They, they just never recovered from that first 10 minutes, did they? I mean, it, it really was. I mean, it was a panicked performance in those first 10 minutes. Everything from Berger looking very nervous and distributing poor out from the back and flappy hands a few times and obviously I think one of the things we should mention is it was a a bit of a makeshift Chelsea defence so you know Carter at at right back is is, you know an attack minded winger naturally you know she's number she's number seven um, and, and and Charles on on the left side is is you know a right footer playing at left back, and I think that really showed. And I had to kind of fight that 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 urge to really go hard on Chelsea because I mean Martins on 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 that on that side on 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 the left wing for for Barcelona just had one of the the best performances I've seen from an individual in in, in soccer yeah. this season, and just it, it just felt like every time she ran. At Carter, it, it, that something was happening, and and I think for the third goal, where it's um, Martins who kind of drives to the byline, and mm-hmm. then um, I can't remember who it is that she she, she scores for. Is it is that the Bomati goal? But Bonmati, anyway, yeah, yeah the, the third goal, and and the defending from Carter is just it's so poor, just to kind of it, she almost like kind of leans into her and doesn't make any sort of tackle. It, it, um, it's just, or I think that might have been actually the fourth goal. That was Graham Hansen's goal, wasn't it? But the, the yeah. defending for the third goal, which is uh, the, the the tackle. Is so is so weak as well. It was just it was a it was a, a poor performance from Chelsea. But one of the things they should take encouragement from is Barcelona not so long ago were in a similar sort of situation. They they lost four 0 to or they were four 0 down at halftime in a Champions League final against uh, Lyon, and they've kind of built back up. And I do feel like with Emma Hayes in charge and with Chelsea making signings like Sam Kerr and. There is a determination to get better, and I think that was very much the vibe from Hayes after the match. Was yep, this yeah. was a, this was a poor performance. This was, you know, we weren't good enough, but we'll be back and we'll improve on that. And I, I do think there is a determination at Chelsea that there isn't at uh, other English big clubs. Hopefully, yeah, as you say, Graham, Chelsea treat this as a galvanizing moment because that's the only the most positive way they can do it. Um, but yeah, certainly a disappointing outing for them. But but Taylor, uh, as we mentioned it, Barcelona were just very, very impressive. This is a kind of an academy built team in many ways, if you will. A lot of, uh, you know, they, they seem to be mostly Spanish and built on kind of a Barca philosophy. They, they came out swinging here. They were they were pretty quick to steal the ball from the outset, quite evidently, as they, I think. Chelsea hadn't even touched the ball by the time that first own goal had gone in, apart from the own goal touch, obviously. They were, they were pressing pretty high. And I think, as Graham said, it was Lika Martins who stood out for me, who I, I felt was Kevin De Bruyne-esque in the control of the game and seemed to be involved in all four, game, all four goals, Taylor, and, and just a very impressive player for me. And Bon Mati was very, very impressive too, but it was Martins that stood out for me. I would say that maybe Lika Martins is faster than Kevin De Bruyne based on this performance in this game because, yes, she embarrassed some defenders uh, with the pace, but then I think the pace then became a setup to use the technical ability to get around people, to pull in more defenders, and it was she, she was far and away. Every time there was a player on the ball who was just dusting a Chelsea defender but then also cutting back to Meg them, it was sort of like, oh, okay, I, I can just assume that's Lika Martins doing that. Uh, and then anytime there was a player... Uh, like stretching the line and making smart runs in behind. I could assume that that was Hermoso, who I, I believe got a goal in there. I, yes. I haven't checked him. Thank Correct. you. Uh, but yeah, overall, I 
I'm with you that I think Chelsea could use this as motivation to continue to build and get some things right next time. I think the addition of Retan made a big difference in the second half, although obviously doesn't change anything. But for Barcelona, yeah, I think this is a team that they can just continue to build as a cohesive unit and continue to be as dominant as they've been until somebody can catch them. I'm assuming Leon will try to find a way to make that happen next year in the Champions League. But I thought this was a really fun game, which is not necessarily surprising given that you have four goals but also sometimes when you have a blowout like this it's not that captivating of a game but because of how dominant Barcelona were and the way that they went about getting the goals and just kind of causing Chelsea nightmares across the board Leopold's out at halftime I think Mm. I, I felt very bad for her for having to spend the second half just thinking about all the different things that went wrong for her in the first half. Yeah, that was that was quite harsh getting pulled at halftime. And I think it was mm-hmm. um, Graham referencing. I think it was Neem Charles. Was it the fourth goal where she was wildly out of position and didn't Beaten four really times yeah. try and challenge for the ball at all? And uh, it, just, it just didn't seem like their night. Unfortunately, she legitimately got beaten three times in that sequence. Yeah. She gets she gets outrun for the initial ball in, then she catches up and gets beaten again. Like and then as uh, Lika Martins is getting to the end line, she beats her one more time. So three moments of Lika Martins embarrassing one defender in about a 10 second period. I know. I well, know. Sorry, I know this Barcelona team are. I mean, the season they've had has been utterly incredible. 26, won 26 out of 26 in the Spanish league, 128 goals, conceded just five. So it, it's possibly the case that they are just an unbelievable team. But I, I do feel like Chelsea are, are better than they showed in this performance. And I do wonder just how much of um, this was down to stage fright, I think, as Emma, Emma Hayes um, called it, especially just at least the 4-0 scoreline. And I thought it was quite telling that Chelsea, the, only, the one player that they had who I thought seemed to have some form of composure and just seemed to be quite comfortable on the stage, and even so she missed a few chances, was, was her there. And obviously she's been here before last year, you know, with, with Wolfsburg. So, yeah, I, I do wonder just if this was a case of... Um, as I say, stage fright and just Chelsea getting a shock of the level of Barcelona. And now they've had that shock, whether they would actually get that shock a second time. I, I feel like they would, and if they face Barcelona again, I don't think they would, the, the gulf would be quite so massive. There was such a confidence in the way Barcelona attacked in contrast to what Chelsea were trying to do that you could see, because I, I honestly didn't think Harder even had that good of a game. She obviously gets into good attacking positions, no. but then doesn't take those chances. Yeah. And I'm not saying you, you said she was having like a, a you know, yeah, a, she, like she, the best player or anything she, like that. She did miss chances. I just felt like she was yeah. the one who didn't look like her mind was scrambled, yeah. basically. But she, yeah, I would agree with that. I would say, though, that like with some of those chances she misses, you can see that like, I hope I score this sort of idea as she's striking the ball. And with Barcelona, I think in contrast, you just saw the I am going to score this mentality. And that's just such a difference. If you're shooting and not really... I've talked about this before. If you're shooting and not really thinking about it, but just knowing what you want to do and then doing the mechanics properly, you're so much more likely to score than, I hope I get this right. I hope I finish this right. And you're like, maybe you, you like turtle headed a little bit when you go to head the ball because you're not quite sure you're backing you yourself. Are. And I, you do what? You know, when you like, uh, Did like, you say like, turtle head it? Yeah. Like crouch, <laughs> crouch your head, crouch your head down. So instead of going to meet the ball with your head, I'm doing it right now. I know what you mean. Telling my voice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that means something different where I come from. Okay. Yeah, me too, but I get what you mean, Taylor. <laughs> I mean, maybe they had to poo as well. It could have been that. <laughs> Goodness me. Well, I, for one, welcome our Barcelona Feminine Overlords. Um, and look- also, can we just make the point, Barcelona, like... Maybe look at maybe look at that team and see what happens when you have a bunch of homegrown players come through, and then you bring in a couple like next level players to like round out that squad. Maybe just a reminder for the Barcelona men's side that uh, yeah, bring through your academy players and rely on them, and you see what happens. That seems to have worked before for them. Yeah, so maybe, weird. Maybe weird. they should take note from the uh, from the women's side. Definitely. Uh, well, speaking of Barcelona's men's side, we're going to be talking about them, the Spanish title race, and a bit of uh, Calcio as well after these messages. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, we have returned, everybody, and we are talking Calcio, Derby d'Italia specifically, or the Conte Derby, as we may call it, Juventus against Internazionale, this one finishing 3-2 to Juventus, a pretty eventful one, a huge game for Juve as well, they're now one point off the top four with one game to go after Milan drew with Cagliari at the weekend, that uh, race for Champions League soccer getting very, very tight, uh, next week, by the way, uh, Milan are at Atalanta and Juve are at Bologna, it's very dead delicately poised we have Juve Milan and Napoli all fighting for two Champions League spots with Atalanta by the way securing their place in the Champions League but uh, Graham this one was a wild wild derby to Italia <laughs> quite a lot going on we had uh, quite a lot of penalties we had quite a lot of red cards at least two red cards I should say do, do you remember Graham how Juventus got relegated for choosing favorable referees I'm just mentioning it out of no reason whatsoever really but anyway what are your thoughts on the game Oh man, this match was chaotic. This Derby Italia woke up and chose violence, is how I would <laughs> put it. Two red cards, three penalties, a saved penalty, which obviously Ronaldo scores the rebound, two fight backs, five goals. It was everything I really wanted from this match. Um, and you're right, some questionable decisions from the referee. I mean, I, I, um, I don't know whether, the, the UK broadcast didn't show many replays of the Quadrado yeah. penalty kick in particular. Mm. I didn't get a good angle on that, despite the fact I deliberately went looking for one. I don't know about you guys, but that one seemed soft in particular. Yeah. We, no, we didn't, I'm with you. We didn't get a lot of replays of different moments. And those that we did, I think were, were still confusing. I think it is part of the problem of when you have, I'm assuming this game was called from a monitor. And so the people who are doing it have to kind of rely on what, what's in front of them. And they can't see the other stuff that's going on as you can in person. But I felt like some of the red cards as well, at least the first one, the Brozovic one, a little bit more straightforward. But yeah, uh, I, uh, uh, forgive me. I, I have it in my notes who was sent off. Uh, Benton Core. I think like, like, it, it didn't even make sense to me why that happened. And then I'm with you, Graham, for the penalty that it just seems like Perisic is tracking. It's the Cruyff turn from Quadrado. And then the question is, does the like physics of the Cruyff turn require him to kind of put the left leg out the way he does so he can cut back behind it? Or is he doing that to deliberately make contact and then fall over? Because if you watch it one way, it looks exactly like, oh, yeah, it's just the physics of the Cruyff turn. And then if you watch it thinking, is he trying to get contact? You will absolutely see him trying to get contact. And I think you're right that maybe a few more replays or a little bit more analysis would have been helpful. But I'm still confused uh, right now. It, it was quite a game for Cordoardo. He scored the goal for 2-1, which was a Galazzo, basically, in a, a, a decent shot from, from, from long distance. And he, he's involved uh, again with that penalty to, uh, to make it 3-2, as you say, with a questionable amount of contact to win it. But uh, some some top-class poophousery, I would say, from Quadrado mm. either way. And uh, also, obviously, he's the one who gets tackled when Brozovic gets his uh, second yellow card as well what, when he's attempting a breakaway. So well, I, I guess, Graham, Quadrado, is he... Is he underrated? Is this um, is he adequately rated? We don't seem to talk much about him when we talk about Juventus. 
Yeah, I think I think there's a case that he's he's slightly underrated. Although I was I was reading about him that he is a, a bit of a favourite of the Juventus fans. So I think that might be quite an Anglo-centric opinion. Obviously, a lot of Premier League fans remember him from when he wasn't so good for Chelsea. But he's probably been... I, I was thinking about this earlier. He's he's probably been Juventus's most consistent player over the course of this season. Now, there hasn't been much competition for that. And obviously, you'd maybe point to Ronaldo, who I think scored his 29th goal of the season in this game. But his, mm-hmm. his performance is a little bit strange and his, his numbers are, don't quite align with how he's played this season. So, yeah, I think I think Quadrado is one of the few players at Juventus this season who who comes out of it with any sort of credit. And then for me, when I think of Quadrado, I think the first team I think of is Colombia. And I think it's the same thing there where you have James Rodriguez, who's always going to be the name, and Radama Falcao a, a few years ago as well, have the big names. They're going to get the media attention. But when those two are injured, it tends to be one Quadrado who has to carry that team and make things happen. And even when they're there, he's such a an important part of that team that I think the like he's accurately rated as being an important player, but he's never going to be, or at least hasn't been, that sort of the player that leads that team that you're going to kind of put on the highlight reel package of Colombia versus Brazil, Juan Cuadrado versus Neymar. It's never going to be that level of billing, and I think that extends to Juventus as well. But you see what he offers and the versatility he brings of being able to play on either side as a defender or as an attacker and draw a penalty and score a penalty and score a clutch penalty at that. It was um, some curious moments from Andrea Pirlo in this game, I thought, as well. Ronaldo uh, coming, coming off of Morata. <laughs> uh, Chiesa getting a roof. Was it uh, Demoral, I think, who came on for him? Um, yeah. And McKenney actually came on and, I thought, made things a little bit more stable in midfield as well, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, be, to be fair there. The one I wanted to talk about, though, Taylor, is, is Ronaldo, who I was listened mm-hmm. with intent to um, your conversation with Christine Coupo on the podcast last weekend, which was excellent. I recommend anyone goes back to check that out if they haven't heard it already. Uh, and to build on that conversation about Ronaldo, I just noticed that he he seems more than ever quite detached from this team. Yeah. He, he definitely wasn't celebrating the other goals that he did not score. He seemed a bit like he got away with the penalty, with the rebound and everything. It's like yep. he's a separate unit to the rest of this team, isn't he? And it feels like he's in this yeah. little he's in a glass case of unemotion. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's also that extends to his positioning on the field because I would say Juve, though I think they're listed as a four four two. I think a lot of the times it was a four one four one or it was a four four one one with mm. Kulishevsky dropping in centrally, yeah. and that meant it was supposed to be Ronaldo leading the line. But I saw him like drifting to left center. I saw him drifting out wide, and maybe that is part of the game, part of what they're supposed to be doing. It could be trying to create overloads, but I also saw him going and standing. On two different occasions, it was Rabio, and I don't love Rabio that much, but I don't think this is him this time, that Ronaldo would go stand next to him, like, maybe five yards away and Rabia would look over his shoulder and see Ronaldo and there'd be a half second of like, what? Uh, okay. And then he would go <laughs> like a different direction to try to find space. And it did seem to me, I saw those moments as being not Ronaldo being that dominant force. He goes where he wants, he does what he wants and everybody adjusts around him. Like we've seen in the past, it felt more like he still is kind of doing that, but you don't have that swagger or at least as much swagger. You don't have the ability uh, the consistent ability at that to to back that up. And so it just, you're right that he seemed like a guy who was sort of drifting around trying to find space. Yes, he scores a penalty or scores the rebound off the penalty, but fundamentally it's not that dominant performance that justifies that sort of we'll all move to make sure that you're happy to make sure that you can do what you want to do. That sometimes still seems to linger when it comes to Ronaldo playing for Juve. Graham Ruthven, prediction time. Where does Ronaldo go next season? I think you mentioned before we came on air that there's rumours that he's been uh, shipping his supercars somewhere <laughs> or other, which is the, uh, the the classic millionaire sign that you're on, on the move. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter's got video of um, all his uh, supercars being loaded into a massive uh, truck at his, his, his Turin home, so that's a clear sign that he's off. I mean, I, I do wonder where they're being shipped to. Like, where are those cars going? To like, does Ronaldo own a private island in the shape of his head somewhere in the? I know, I know that you're saying that in jest, but the answer is yes. And then I think he gifted it to his agent. He I, bought his agent an island. I actually think you got it wrong. He's actually a big fan of the TV show from the '80s, Night Rider, which famously the car would ride back into the back of a truck. So he wants to he wants to do that move while on the highway, just drive his car into a truck. I like that you say that's the famous part of Night Rider, as though it wasn't the fact that it was a talking car. The car talked. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, man. I think with Mr. Feeney's voice. It did have Mr. Feeney's voice. The teacher yeah. who followed uh, Corey Matthews from uh, from like n- yeah, nursery all. all the way through to college, which isn't yeah. weird so at what, all. So what you're saying is that Ronaldo has a fleet of Knight Rider cars. Those are those are his friends, and now they've decided that they're going off somewhere else uh, because he's had enough at Juventus. Like, is, I'm so sad. Is, is, is Jorge Mendes like programmed his voice into one of those cars? <laughs> He's like, I like uh, to think that Weston McKinney got programmed into one of them. They seem like they're buddies. Yeah. Hey, Weston, take me to Lisbon. I'm sorry, Cristiano. <laughs> I can't let you do that. Oh, no, we've made it Dave now. Oh, no. <laughs> now we're in trouble. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Dave, whatever that thing is called. Yeah, I don't like that at all. I don't like that at all. <sighs> oh, wonderful tangent. We don't know where Ronaldo's going to be. It seems unlikely he'll be in Juventus given their precarious situation. We've spent a long time, a relatively long time on Italy. We have lots to get to on this podcast, gents. Why don't we turn our attention to Spain uh, and the title race, which is uh, still as electric as ever. It's going down to the final day, Graham. We've got the two Madrid teams who will be uh, um, facing each other for the right to win the title. Uh, Atleti uh, in the driving seat at the moment after this weekend's results, which went as follows. Athletic Club were beaten 1-0 by Real Madrid. Atleti getting a clutch win over Osasuna, 2-1 in that one. Uh, Villarreal and uh, Sevilla, Sevilla uh, will virtually out of the picture, but they got a 4-0 pounding from Villarreal as well. And Barcelona, who will finish outside the top two for the first time since 2007-08, uh, falling 2-1 to Celta Vigo. Graham, I suppose the game we should start with is Atleti. Atleti and uh, Luis Suarez saving the day. Yeah, yeah, certainly did. And also Musa Dembele, who uh, put in the, the group chat, jumped so <laughs> high over... You know how you see someone hopping over a shot a little bit? Uh, Musa Dembele is... You know that way where you jump where your knees are up to your chin? Mm-hmm. He's jumping so high because he knows if he blocks that shot, he's never playing another game for <laughs> Atletico Madrid. Um, but yes, very, very typical of, of this season that I guess that Suarez would come up with the, the big moment for Atleti. What I would say about this, this, this day in La Liga was it was, it was quite overwhelming with all the games being played mm-hmm. at once. So I'm not sure yeah. you're going to get much sort of tactical analysis out of me today, just because, as I say, it was overwhelming and having to keep an eye on so many games. And I didn't actually watch all that much live of the Barcelona Celta Vigo game because obviously they are kind of, they, they needed a miracle to still be in it. So I was watching Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, but I thought the two performances of Atleti and Real Madrid were, were typical of their season in that Real Madrid did just enough to beat Athletic Club. I don't think they were particularly impressive. And in Atleti, going through the ringer, all the emotions falling behind with 10 minutes to go, going through it all and then finding a way to to beat Osasuna. I think I said a week ago or two weeks ago that actually Atleti being in this sort of grind might be their comfort zone. And I actually think Mm -hmm. that, I mean, ignore the fact I said Barcelona were going to win La Liga title at the same time. But uh, yeah, I think that's kind of been proven right. This kind of feels like Atleti are going to get it done in the way that Atleti know how. Well, it's- I agree, Graham, because this, sorry, Ryan, I just wanted to add that, like, I think this season, for, like, how much we've talked about, like, the impact of COVID and not really getting that much of a break between last season and the start of this one and injuries and having to deal with fatigue. Like, you don't have Madrid looking their peak. You certainly don't have Barcelona looking their peak. You do have Atletico like making difficult circumstances work, which is what I tend to think of them doing really, really well, especially under Diego Simeone. So I think you're also right to kind of throw tactics out a little bit at this point because you have so many injuries and so many different question marks around so many different teams that it just becomes like, just find a way to win, guys. And in this case, Suarez, Carrasco, Correa tried to find a win about 14,000 times before (laughs) they eventually did. But uh, they do, and that's what's important. Yeah, and it was a a well-scripted game, this one, with the, the couple of offside goals before um, well actually Atleti didn't even take the lead in this game until what the 88th minute and they, yep. they had 73% possessions they had 26 shots to Osasuna's five it feels it's a bit a bit damning when you look at it from that perspective but yeah a very dramatic game uh, Atleti now must beat Valladolid next week to ensure they win La Liga ahead of Real Madrid Valladolid's owner by the way Brazilian Ronaldo which is an interesting really? uh, link to link to Madrid there. Uh, Madrid are two points behind. They've got Villarreal next weekend. Uh, Villarreal, who I mentioned, beat Sevilla 4-0 this weekend. So I imagine that will be uh, no easy task for them. So it is fairly delicately poised. Graham, it feels a bit like the ending when Atleti last won the league. Was it? And they had like a nil-nil they crunched out with yeah. Barca on the final day. And that kind of, as you say, sort of hanging on for dear life to win. 
Yeah, a, a famous 1-1 at the camp now on the, on the right. last day of the season. I think 2013-14 season, Diego Godin with the, the kind of famous goal. And yeah, that very, very much feels like... To be honest, I had that sense from the 0-0 draw at the camp now. I can't remember, was that one or two weeks ago? Whenever that was, felt quite reminiscent of that. And I, I feel like Atleti have been liberated by getting through that match against Barcelona where they where they have it in their own hands and they just need to win the matches they've got. And after all this talk of Atleti modernising and become a slightly different team under Simeone, yeah. and they and they have to a certain extent, like they do, they are better in the ball. Some players like Carrasco, what a season he has had! I mean, when he returned to Atleti from China, I think everyone was really, really surprised um, because he wasn't that good in his first stint at Atletico Madrid, and now he's arguably been their player of the season along with with Suarez. And I don't think he thrives in an athletic, in, a, in a previous athletic team. So they have changed a little bit, but yeah, yet they've still come to the business end of a season and they are doing it in the way only Atletico Madrid can and, and know how to do it. So it's, there's a little bit of comfort in that. And I, I think they're going to do it now. Like they're going to be validly in the last day of the season. And if they don't, all those athletic fans who are outside the wand at the weekend, uh, I'll, I'll post my home address and you can come and abuse me. Oh, wow. <laughs> But, I do like though, Graham, that you're absolutely right that there was this going to be this expansive, free flowing Atleti team that is not what I would say they are now. But you do have João Felix coming on and getting a very nice assist with a with a good ball over the top for the uh, the equalizer. Uh, and then I thought also Kieran Trippier, who is maybe splitting the difference between the two, though I think of as more a like Simeone style four four two defender, but. His set piece delivery, some of the crosses he puts into the first half, and then I think the same in the second half. I thought he was also uh, a really important and excellent player for them on the day. But I think, it, yeah, in the end, I'm giving all the credit to Carrasco because he just kind of doesn't stop ever. He just keeps running and moving and finding space and standing people up and doing step overs and then getting assists for game winners. Well done, Carrasco. Well done, Atleti. Well done, and uh, uh, begrudgingly well done, Luis Suarez, who is on the cusp of winning Liga titles with two different teams. And Barca fans can say what they want about Joseph Bartomeu, but he did have the foresight to sell him to Atleti yeah. to stop Madrid winning a title. So um, that, that, that's impressive stuff. <laughs> uh, and, and, and talking about Real Madrid's game with Atletic, I, I think Graham touched on it, not, not the best of games by all accounts, and Real Madrid no. grinding out a 1-0 a, a win at a very difficult place to go, San Mamas, of course. The Basque country is not an easy trip for any team, but so so um, credit to Real Madrid for coming out with three points there. But Barcelona, um, uh, you know, a good day for their women's side, not so much for their men's side, suffering at Celta Vigo here. Their defense letting them down once again uh, in this one and, and Testegen having another a poor game as well. Leo Messi looking a bit wasteful, Graham, in this one as well. Uh, what, what what do we make of the Barcelona roller coaster of a season they <laughs> yeah. had? It once again, I keep I, I feel like one week I'm saying they're terrible, the next week they're superb. I don't know where to, where this uh where this roller coaster is going to settle. It's it's been a funny season for Barcelona. At some points they've been brilliant, and I felt like before that Granada game where they lost at home, I, I honestly felt I was pretty confident Barcelona were going to win the Liga, and yet they threw they throw away that game, put against Atletico Atletico Madrid and at the camp now. And then a, a poor performance and, and result here, they've faltered down the stretch and it's not a good quality for, for a Barcelona team to have. And it, it, it now seems like Coleman might actually pay with his job. Um, yeah. There's reports in Spain and, and in Catalonia that, that he's not going to start next season as Barcelona manager. I saw a media set journalist reporting that Xavi is returning to Barcelona this week and that he counted 22 seat suitcases with him on the way to the airport. Um, which I don't know. That doesn't say to me that he's going back to Barcelona on vacation. Do, Maybe one. Do of, we just have luggage spotters? Is yeah. that what we have now? Do we just have shipment spotters around the around Europe for moves that are happening? We got cars moving, yeah, twenty two suitcases in coming in. Yeah, I just hope one of those suitcases has a new centre forward in it for uh, Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> Andre Iniesta is crammed in there somewhere. I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, and I think was it last week, Ryan, that you asked, like, do we think Ronald Koeman will be there next season? Possibly. It, if it was, it was either last weekend or the weekend before. But either way, it shows how quickly things change. That I, I remember seeing that question and being like, yeah, no, he's going to be there. Like, I think he's, he's done enough. He's changed the shape. He's gotten some things figured out. And then you start to see, like, almost, almost as soon as we hit publish and probably before, and I just didn't see it. Um, 
But you start to see those like, oh, there's some questions as to what he's done here. or Why isn't Ricky Pooge playing? That seems to have come back. And they, there needs to be more academy development. And there's just those little leaks that we know from Barcelona are sometimes intentional and seem to be laying the groundwork for, you know what? It's a bunch of little things that aren't working. So let's make the big decision. And it does seem like now that's where they're heading. And we may well have a summer where we don't have a manager at Barcelona. And we don't have a manager at Real Madrid. So I guess... Atletico Madrid, uh, the pillar of stability in La Liga these days. Maybe those managers should switch places. Let's do that. Let's see how well that goes so far. Change places! <laughs> that would be fun, wouldn't it? I like that. <laughs> oh boy. We'll, we'll get some pig heads thrown for sure. Indeed, indeed. Pig heads are plenty at the camp now. Um, the, well, the Spanish title race, as we say, will go down to the final day, and it is in Atleti's hands to get the title once again. That just about wraps up the games we we're going to cover, gents. Let's move into injury time. Um, I'd like to turn our attention to the Turkish Superliga, and Taylor, oh as our uh, former Turkish resident on the podcast, <sighs> would you like yeah. to take the lead on explaining the tightness of the league and what happened there? Sure. Uh, you had Fenerbahce with a late potential challenge at the end of the season, but they were not involved in the eventual uh, title race. What you did have was Besiktas winning the Turkish Super League with 84 points, Galatasaray in a distant second also with 84 points. Uh, and then the big thing there would be the goal difference, Besiktas winning their game against Gostepe 2-1, to uh, giving them a plus 45 goal difference, Galatasaray winning against uh, Malatyaspor 3-1, to which gave them plus 44. So Besiktas are your Turkish champions by one goal, literally. One single goal on goal difference. Yeah, that's that's pretty tight, I would say. And, and uh, I, I don't want to throw around accusations, but uh, Besiktas won a game at the start of this month, 7-0. Um, hmm. I'm just going to hmm. leave it there. <laughs> Not saying it tends to be Fenerbahce who get those accusations, but you never know. You never know. But I think it was a, a strange season. I think uh, Fenerbahce spending a lot of money, but not really having a plan. Galatasaray not spending as much money and ha- kind of having a plan. I guess it ends up being Besiktas who, who win it and win it, win it in comfortable style with that one goal at the very end. Uh, but it does mean we have Giandre Edlin for Galatasaray in the Champions League next season. And I think that's what we were all mostly concerned about. Yeah. Besiktas getting a nice pat on the back I noticed on social media from Erdogan as well, which was... Aww. Aww. Warms the heart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, (laughs) It's funny because they do not like him. (laughs) Like, at all. And and Erdogan has links to Besaksa here, doesn't he? Is that that not a thing? I believe the stadium is named after him. Right. So So there you go. Yes. So yes. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? Uh, Elsewhere in injury time, Graham, let's turn our attentions to Scotland and Rangers uh, sealing their first unbeaten season since 1899. Just the 102 points for Rangers. Yep, that's still less than uh, Brendan Rodgers Celtic got a few, uh, two or three seasons ago. They got 106, so uh, still got a, a bit of improvement to the Stevie G. You can improve things a little bit there, but yes, they've they've just been totally untouchable this season. 26 clean sheets from 38 games, which uh, I think Jose Mourinho would, prime Jose Mourinho would be proud of that. So yes, mm-hmm. worth mentioning, and quite an achievement for them. Um, the other thing I was going to mention was I know we referenced it at the start of the show, but is Allison? Becker, the Liverpool goalkeeper, the first player in tracksuit bottoms to score a Premier League goal. I feel like he oh. must be because Gabba Karai, I don't ever remember him doing that from a corner kick. Oof. Did Begovic wear trousers? Did he ever score? <laughs> I think he did, didn't he? Way back. I, I, I'm obsessed with this now. I also want to know if anybody's ever scored a goal with a hat on. I miss those days oh. with goalkeepers rocking the hats. We had one of those earlier in the season and it was my favorite thing about that game. <laughs> Who was the Crystal Palace keeper who was used to wear those tatty grey ones? Yeah, as that's well? that's Gabba Karai, yeah. That's, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Um yeah. That's a good I think question. what we need I think what we need at Rangers is uh is Cristiano Ronaldo, clearly. That's what they need to put them uh over the top next season. They weren't over the top enough already. Let's get that going. Yeah, either either they'll get hundred and seven points or they won't even qualify for the Champions League. Could go either way with Cristiano Ronaldo these days. <laughs> Oh, imagine no supercars on their way to Scotland. Exciting times, oh, exciting times. And I think Steven Gerrard to Real Madrid is also confirmed now, right, Graham? <laughs> well, it has to happen at some point in his career. Yeah, <laughs> one would imagine. Speaking, speaking of exciting times, my final thing I wanted to mention, we have uh, the situation in the Premier League is that we have Leicester, Chelsea, and Liverpool all vying for those final two Champions League spots. We have a title race in France, which will go down to the final day between Lille and PSG. We have the title race in Spain, we've already mentioned, 
But in the Bundesliga, we know our Champions League teams. We know who will win. I am saying the Bundesliga is the most boring, boring league at this point. It's the problematic league. We got to figure out a way to solve the Bundesliga. For people who are new to the show, I promise I don't actually mean what, what, that. What they should do is, you know, how you were talking about Barcelona and Real Madrid swapping managers. What they should do is yeah. they should get the second team in the Bundesliga to you swap think? managers with the first. Oh wait, no, they're already Seriously. doing that. Really, yeah. <laughs> Such a weird managerial merry-go-round uh, in Germany right now. But my question for you all, I wrote this down before we started recording. If you could only choose, if one of these things, if three of them were going to happen and one of them weren't, which one would you choose? Leicester making the Champions League, PSG losing the title, uh, uh, Atleti winning in La Liga, or I think those are my three. So I guess I said four. I know these, I've got three these things we would like to happen or things we think will happen. Which one? Which one would you most like to happen? Which one do you not care as much if it happens? Leicester making the Champions League at the expense of Chelsea or Liverpool, PSG losing the title and Lille therefore winning, uh, and then or Atleti winning La Liga. PSG not winning the title, I think, is the, is the one you least yeah, care about. I, no, that's the one I would like to see happen. Okay, I think, because yeah. I think Atleti are like as much as I would like them to win uh, Serie A. Sorry, La Liga. They. They're like they've been up there for a while now. Leicester is probably second at list because again, I, I would like to see that happen. But they, they're they're pretty consistent. Whereas mm-hmm. Leo winning League One, League One is something I didn't think would happen at the start of the season. So I'm I'm, right. I'm with Graham on that one. I think uh, although your OnlyFans followers, what looking at all your PSG shirt <laughs> collection, might be dismayed by uh, by that decision. But I I think it's a close second with me with, with the Leicester situation because I I'd like to see them get in, and I'd, I don't want to see Liverpool sneak it. Frankly. There we are. All right. <laughs> I've asked. I've answered. Liverpool fans, it's uh, Ryan J. Bailey on Twitter. Come at me, bros. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just well, also... About... Sorry, just one, one more mention of... Uh... Can we just name this segment, Can I Just Also? <laughs> yeah, Can we yeah, just yeah. do that and then we're good to go? <laughs> yeah. One thing I, I, would, I would like to recognize is, um, as a bit of a Spanish football fan and through my job cover a lot of Spanish football, really, really sad to see Ibar go down at yeah. the weekend. They have been brilliant value in La Liga for the last few years. The smallest club in any of the big five leagues in Europe. The Peru is such a great venue. I, like, I would really like, I've not visited, but I'd really like to go. So I think they will be missed in La Liga and I hope to see them back pretty soon, hopefully next season or the season after. Oh, hopefully so. I've got a soft spot for the Basque teams as well. So that's a sad one as well. Um, that just about concludes the weekend review. Thank you very much, listener, for holding on until this point, if indeed you have. Taylor Rockwell, a privilege to record with you once again. Uh, right back at you, buddy. And I believe I have to stick around to give you my emotional post-match comments. Is that what we landed on at the beginning of this show? That's right. Please stay on the line. Meanwhile, uh, <laughs> Graham Ruthven, uh, onlyfans.com slash sexyg, uh, if you want to find him there. <laughs> and for the meantime, thank you very much, Graham. Thanks, guys. I, I, I'm hopeful that you were able to hear me over the building site noise in the background. <laughs> Taylor, please edit that out where you can. <laughs> I mean, it's a novel choice to live on a construction site. I don't know how that's working for you so far, but I think yeah. your kids are getting some nice real-world experience. Yeah, we, we deliberately, that was one of the filters we chose was uh, when we were searching for this property, was building site tech. Give us only building sites. Beep, beep. The Graham is reversing. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.